You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your life and home, as well as give you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created a safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you, bringing you clarity and solution with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversation with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. And today I have the lovely Yolanda Williams as my guest. And I am really excited to be getting into this conversation with Yolanda because I feel that there is a lot that I can learn from her and from her work. So without further ado, welcome Yolanda. So happy to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for inviting me on here. Thank you all for listening. Yes, yes. So uh, Yolanda, as I always like to start with an important question, at least it's important to me, and that is, what is your definition of the art of parenting? Wow. So, you know, I, parenting really is like an art (laughs) because in every day we are creating something new with our parenting. And as we parent, as we are going through the the everyday motions, a lot of us are also on our own healing journeys. We are learning how to be better people um, out on top of being good parents. And, and so the art of parenting is really just trying to strike a balance between, you know, how do I, how do I be someone I've never been before? Um, how do I heal myself and parent more intentionally under duress, living in a, you know, a, a society that is uh, rooted in very harmful systemic oppression um, sort of frameworks. So I think that the art of parenting is really just trying to balance all of that and doing the best that we can to be as intentional and conscious as possible. Yes. And, and, I I do love the way you say that it is an art because with all of that healing and and such, we have to always be creative, right? And always be intentional, but but creative and and evolve. Exactly. Um, And that intentionality is not easy. A lot lot of us are, you know, when, when we see memes about parents being on their phones, that's disassociation. That's that's a lot of us are dissociating myself included because there's so much to deal with in this world. Um, It's a lot for our mental health. And again, a lot of us have realized that we have a lot of unhealed uh, childhood trauma and we know that in order to be the best parents that we can be, we have to deal with that. So just, it's just, it could be a lot and we are trying our best to figure it out along the way. And so being intentional not being on autopilot is very, very difficult when all you want is to literally sit down and do nothing sometimes. Right, right. And and before we get into our conversation, I would love if you could let our listeners know a little bit about you and your background and how you came to do the work that you're doing today. 
Uh, yes. So my name is Yolanda Williams, and I am the founder of Parenting Decolonized. I started as a parenting coach, really noticing that there was a missing gap in the parent coaching community that really didn't address the nuances of being a, a Black parent, trying to be a conscious parent, living in the United States. So that was kind of where I started because I was finding that the advice I was given, it just didn't seem like it applied to me. Um, of course, all the stuff around like doing things with your kids, you know, tantrums, all that other stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about mindset stuff. Um, and it, did, it didn't, it never addressed uh, systemic oppression, racial justice, social justice. And so I wanted to sort of step into that gap and talk to various people about how to, how do we raise, you know, children to be as liberated as they can be while also recognizing that we live under these oppressive systems, really anti-Black, really oppressive systems, and still not burden them with the truth <laughs> of what of what it means to be a Black person in this world. Like, how do we balance all of that? So I formed Parenting Decolonized. I have, uh, I'm a conscious parenting coach. Um, and I, and I kind of, it, you know, started podcasting to talk about it. But then I realized that my audience was much bigger than just Black people. So it grew into giving, you know, workshops for teachers on how to be a more conscious teacher and also just doing some DEI work with some companies. So just being a parent who wanted to see uh, specifically Black people lead with more compassion and empathy and love and decolonize the way that we think about children and parenting was how I got started. Beautiful. And and is it becoming a parent that that got you into this work? Oh, yes. Oof. I was a little bit more conscious than like my family. We're from, you know, from California. I'm in Arkansas right now. But, you know, in Southern California, I don't know if there's anybody else's experience, but it wasn't like we sat around and talked about race. We just didn't. And, you know, my mother is a black woman and we just I have I have a biracial sister. Younger sister is uh, her dad's Persian. We just did not discuss race. But I found myself as a as a young woman, like wanting to, especially in the 90s when there was a lot of like black shows out, you know, different world and the Cosby show and um, all the movies, higher learning, all those things. I found myself really being drawn to wanting to talk more about race, but I hadn't want to talk to about it. <laughs> so it wasn't until I became a parent that that really came out very, it became more of like, this is what um, radicalized me. Um, was becoming a parent because I realized like I'm bringing my daughter into this really broken world. And I, it scares me. It really scares me for her to be a black girl um, living in America. Um, and so I wanted, my work is really centered around the liberation, mostly of, of black women, um, children and marginalized genders, because like the saying goes, like if black children is the saying is if black women were free but i really believe if black children are free then everyone is free because all of these systems would have to have broken down um and new systems be built to protect them and those systems will be protecting everybody because if we center the most marginalized people then everyone is protected mm, yes so true so true and do you feel that we are going forward like it's, you know, like there's some days where I just, you know, 
being an observer of our world. So, you know, I'm I'm a white woman, a 60-year-old living in California. I was, you know, raised abroad, but I've, I've been here and I live in America. And it's true that, you know, daily I'm shocked as to, like, how antiquated and how backwards some of the things are on race, on gender, on, on all sorts of things, right? I'm, I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to, to, to sometimes say like, I, I, I'm American. I, I'm a dual citizen. So sometimes I play with that. But, <laughs> um, but I, I, I guess I'm an optimist. And I like to believe that we are going forward and that we are evolving and there is positive change. But then, you know, some days I don't think that. <laughs> so what's what's your what's your view on that? Like if, as as you've been doing this work, if, as you've been, you know, working with with a variety of people. And, and I just love that you say that your audience is is grown. It's not just parents. It's I think everybody wants to do better. Like when, you know, like we we know better, we do better. And so I would love to know from you, like, do you see us going forward in a positive way? What I see is a different form of colonialism that's more insidious than before. Um, Things have just shifted. They've changed. They've become more um, sort of codified in, in the way that we do things. So they're a little bit trickier to find. I do not think that we've made very much progress. Um, And if we look at what's happening right now with, you know, just in Florida, they just passed a law that, you know, the the African-American studies. And so, and and we just look at all these things, talking about woke culture and like, um, what is that CRT? Most people can't even tell you what CRT even means. They just know that it's Black, in their opinion. It it means something about Black people. It means something about racism. And I don't want to feel uncomfortable. So we are not we have not progressed as much as I think we should have progressed. Obviously, we're not enslaved anymore. Obviously, there's not Jim Crow laws anymore. But now some of those same people who wrote those same laws are now politicians and they are now judges and they are police chiefs. And these folks are um, behind the scenes causing uh, all kinds of havoc and chaos. Um, So we are in... I was looking, I was looking, you know, wanting to try to put my finger on what's going on right now. And I came across a a paper uh, that someone, I believe it's, he's Ethiopian. And he wrote about metacolonialism, which is what we're in right now. Um, and I'm just going to, I'm trying to find real quick what he's talking about, because it really does uh, make sense. Um, it says metacolonialism revives an old system of colonial exploitation and oppression that masquerades in a more savory euphemism of globalization. So it's a lot of this stuff is centered around consumerism and um, it is it is centered around us not not seeing it, not seeing things at face value. And that's why there's a lot of arguments online. Um, a lot of it is mass. It, it doesn't feel like that's not racism. That's what us get a lot, but we know what it feels like. <laughs> I, um, you know, they call it microaggressions and I call it, uh, you know, death by a thousand bee stings. And every little microaggression is like a little 
piece of venom, venom, you know, being inserted into your body. And after a while, that venom builds up inside you and it comes out as, you know, um, disproportionate health outcomes for Black people. We have shortened lifespans. We age faster internally. And that is because it's not so overt anymore. It's very covert. So I think things are just more insidious these days. Oh, my goodness. And so when you um, and and you I was looking on your Instagram yesterday and you were talking about being culturally responsive. So for for me, for example, being, you know, a white female, I'm a parenting coach and all this, like I, I consider myself culturally responsive, but but am I like, <laughs> you know, and, and that I mean, that's not for you to answer, but it's like, I would love for you to like maybe explain a little bit more about what that actually means. And then just to backtrack just a little bit, you did say CRT, which I know what it is, but I would love for our listeners who might not know if you could just uh, just break that up for us a little bit. Well, if I'm be honest, like I, I'm still, I just learned what critical race theory, <laughs> yeah, yeah, what it is, and because it's not something that is that is used um, in everyday life. It just isn't. Um, the the way that it's being talked about is that it's being used in everyday life. But um, critical race theory is really an examination of like um, how how uh, racism. See, I can't even. I can't even talk about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's around. I believe it's an examination of like how race and racialized issues impact laws. Okay. Um, it has nothing to do with your child reading a book about race. It has nothing to do with your child learning about civil rights. That is not critical race theory. Even the 1619 project is not critical race theory. It is literally just telling history and telling factual history that makes people uncomfortable. So this this language that has been co-opted, like much of our language is co-opted and then turned um, to mean something insidious. You know, if, if you're looking at what, um, how race impacts how laws are passed or the way laws are, um, the way laws are enforced, I think that's a, we have to critically look at those things. We have to look at how race impacts all of those, all of those things and see how we can change that. But I'm, what I'm hearing from people who don't want to, who are against critical race theory and who think that this is in schools is I want things to remain the same. I don't want my child to learn about this. And there's to me only one or two reasons you don't want that. One is because you know how very terrible that history is and how dehumanizing, how evil um, the vestiges of enslavement really were, are. Or two, you are okay with the status quo of, you know, white supremacy delusion. You're okay with feeling like you have some, uh, you know, some kind of supremacy in this world seeing yourself everywhere only, you know what I'm saying? Like you want it to be just as homogenous, like the fifties. That's what, that's what make American great again means. Like I want it to be like the fifties where everything was super white and you only seen a few instances of diversity. And both of those things is just rooted in like, in, in honestly it's um, dehumanizing is evil. Both of those things, because 
exist. Everyone exists, not just black people. There's so many different beautiful ethnicities and in, in, in cultures and we all deserve to be celebrated. Um, so to just want to see yourself is yeah. evil. It is evil. And, and, and it's also sounds to me like it's just so based in this fear of, you know, it's like, it's like always, you know, even in our, in our personal development, like we, we get stuck in a, in a comfort zone, whether, whether it's a healthy one or not, like it's, that's all we know. So sometimes when we need to push ourselves out of a comfort zone, because we know that it's just, it's just not working anymore. It's scary, right? It's, it's fear. So it, the way that, you know, you were describing, I I was relating it to that of like, just being afraid of what, you know, looking at our history uh, in a critical way and, and, and healing from it, because I think everybody needs to heal from it. You know, the, the, the oppressors like the oppressed, it's just, it, it was a horrible, uh, you know, part of our history. And, and there's, you know, unfortunately to this day, there are still things happening around the world that are just horrendous. Um, happening in this country, you know, happening in this country in our, yes, of course. And, 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 and yeah, it's like, how do we go forward? And so, you know, I, like I was saying, I, I try to be optimistic and that, do you think that that is a generational thing? Like, do you, as you're working with parents, because, you know, you're working with parents that are raising the next generation, are, or do you feel that they are more aware, more open to learning, more open to, to you know, learning about this than maybe their parents or grandparents? I used to think that until I got on online more, <laughs> and I started just seeing all the people. You know, I'm 42, and so seeing people my age who sound just like you know, really racist. <laughs> Boomers, like, and I, mean, I don't mean to sound that because I know you're <laughs> you're sixty something years old. I don't mean to say boomer, and I'm a millennial. Right, 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 right. So, like, just seeing, just I'm seeing people who are my age and younger um, regurgitating some very disturbing, just very disturbing, really racist theories and principles, and um, indoctrinating their children into them. And, and it's, and like I said, it's very, it's, it's much more insidious than we think. And, and it's going to become more in, insidious as schools, um, as more parents push for like homeschooling. So there's always a difference. Like there's a difference between like the black homeschooler who was just like, listen, I don't want my child indoctrinated into hating themselves because we know that the history that they are being taught is, um, is, there's miseducation, there's erasure, there's also just straight up lies that are in, in textbooks. So I'm scared that my child is going to get out of here, hate themselves and feel inferior. So I'm going to teach them at home versus the other people who are just like, yeah, I don't want my child learning about this stuff because I don't want them to be uncomfortable and I don't want them to be indoctrinated into learning about civil rights, learning about um, how, you know, how to be a, de- a decent human being, social, emotional learning and, and, and whatnot. And um, I came across a video on TikTok of, uh, I, he couldn't have been 40. He, he looked like he was in his late 30s, a, a young white man. Um, and he was like, join my homeschool co-op. And it was so, it was all this coded language. Like, you don't want your child going to school with people who are, you know, um, 
emotionally abused, but then he had pictures of black people when he said that. Like all these things that that we that I can see, right? Um, that all these red flags, all these dog whistles, but they're they're dog whistles because um, they're supposed to be coded. They're supposed to be like, is this racist? Yeah, it is. So it, it, when I see people who only want to, the fear that you're talking about is 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 real. Um, this fear is an intergenerational fear, and and I think that's why. There needs to be more studies when it comes to um, white supremacy culture and parenting, because if we're really being honest, like there's intergenerational trauma with black people because of enslavement that we have to heal from. That's why we're out here harming our children in certain ways, because we have a lot of us, our ancestors learn how to parent on the plantation. And we took those really dehumanizing, violent tactics into our parenting and it's become part of the culture. So now that people who don't do it are looked at like they're, you know, off, like, you know, I hitting your child. No, <laughs> you know, my child, can, I can speak to them. And so we have to look at like how the past is impacting the present. And I feel like the, you know, uh, part of white supremacy culture is not wanting to look at the past to only want to look at the past that serves you, but not the ones that you have to heal from. And the healing that has to occur intergenerationally that fear is um, a fear from like across the pond when when white folks were colon- colonizing each other during feudalism. And that scarcity around food, around property of, you know, of, of people starving like that. That's a valid fear. Like, I don't want I don't want to ever I don't want my family to ever fear that. So they come over, you know, they then the, the people who leave come and colonize and want to be superior to the people who are already here because of that, that underlying fear is still underneath there. Like I need to be on top because I cannot allow that kind of thing to happen again. Like, you know, you eradicate cultures and people out of your own fear because you were almost eradicated. Instead of facing that history, it's been, it's being erased is no one's talking about it. And, and there has to be a reckoning. There has to be like, a healing, like you said, an intergenerational healing, because you can't tell me, just like we have, Black people have what um, Dr. Joy DeGroy calls uh, post-traumatic slave syndrome. There has to be something that's going on with, with white people too, because you can't tell me being ancestors of people who literally would eat people. Like there was, there was people, they would pick apart actual humans and eat them, consume them in this country, use people's skin as purses in their hair as secret. Oh my goodness. Um, you know, dehumanize and, so, and be so evil. You can't tell me there's not an intergenerational consequence of that. You know, I think you're seeing it in all the mass shootings and all the school shootings and all the, all the, you know, and the serial murders. Like I, I feel like we're seeing that, but no one's talking about it. People gonna be mad at me for saying all this, by the way. No, 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 no. You're speaking the truth, and and I and I thank you for it because I think it's just you know I think we can only evolve and 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 learn by by becoming aware. Like you know, some of the things that you're saying is like I'm going like really, yeah, because you know I wasn't personally aware of it. Oh and, man. And it's just, you know, it's horrendous. I know that this uh, this summer I was actually in France and there was a beautiful exhibit on um, the 
the African Americans in New Orleans, so mm-hmm. the slaves at the times and their relationship to the uh, indigenous Indians of that area. And it, gorgeous, gorgeous exhibit on the dress that they make and, and for, for the parades and everything. It was called Black Indians. And they so, still do. They still do that. And they still do, right. It was it was very contemporary. But it took us, it was like six different rooms and it took us through this, you know, sequence of, of history. And for me, I discovered the like really big involvement that the French had in the slave trade and 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 all of the ships. And, you know, I I knew it, sure, but not to that extent. And seeing visuals and and, you know, drawings and paintings and and uh, you know, people talking about it and all this was like, oh you know, and so that's what I mean also about the healing of just the guilt of my ancestors were part of that right? Uh, I was born and raised in a French colony, you know, and that is, you know, I know like different generations. I remember my grandfather being really racist against the Arabs. uh, And here I was, you know, growing up in it, like, and I only realized that much, much later, as, as a grown adult, when I went back to Tunisia with him. And I was, I was embarrassed. I was like, how can you talk this way? So, so that's what I mean about like, just all of us doing the work that is necessary to heal our past and to repair the damage that has been done. Um, and so, so thank you. I'm getting, I'm getting kind of emotional, but um, it's, it's, and, and so I thank you for, for doing the work, but how, you know, like what, what do you, would you say to parents, uh, new parents, young parents that are listening to us? What would you tell them today? Like, how do we move forward and raise a next generation of, you know, and I love the, your term liberated uh, children to, to, yeah, to, to, to be in that positive mindset, to be able to, to heal, to be aware of, of, you know, what we are carrying in our DNA as it, because of our ancestors and so forth. Like, how do we move forward? How do we get out of this? There is, there is moving forward. There is hope. I think if there's never, if there's not hope, it's hard for us to like actually fight for something. Right. Um, I, I don't, I don't think that I'll see the fruition of my dream for there to be a general, you know, for there to be um, equity when it comes to like race and gender and and so on and so forth in my lifetime, I still fight for it because um, you have to, (laughs) like, you just got to keep fighting. Um, and showing the next generation how to how to fight, and I think the the first place is just starting with with self. So just being willing to ask yourself really hard questions. If as a as a black person, I had to look at like how was I raised? What was my family pathology? How did how did my the views about parenting and about children in my family? How was that shaped by enslavement? And being willing to like feel feel something that isn't like fun and cushy healing sucks y'all um i don't know what to tell you sometimes it gets worse before it gets better but it's an it's necessary you're not supposed to feel good all the time these are emotions and they pass so just again part of healing is understanding that like um you're not going to just be stuck in patterns no one wants your guilt what 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 anyone is asking is just for an acknowledgement 
and for, for people to do better. So first that starts with, with yourself. And then you look around at your community. How was I raised? What were, what were the kind of language I was raised with when it came to race? What was my family's sort of views on Black, Indigenous, and other people of color? What, what language was used in the household to describe them? Where do we live? Is it, a, is it a homogenous sort of place where I only see myself represented? Or is it a diverse place? Why did I choose to live there? Like asking yourself these hard questions. Because once you start like getting uncomfortable, you can start working through that through that uncomfortability and start to then come up with solutions for those things. A lot of, a lot of them are not very um, hard, you know, being in community with other people isn't a hard thing, right? So if you live in a very homogenous place and you're just like, it's super white here. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, there's nobody here that I, everybody looks the same. Everybody acts the same. We all, even our houses look the same. I don't know what to do. I'm sure there is a city or a town near you or in, within a few hours of driving distance that is more diverse where you can look up their calendar and be like okay what do they have on their calendar let's go and let's go check out like this greek fest let's go check out this you know juneteenth parade and you start to immerse yourself in in different cultures i also think especially for white people who don't understand their ancestry you have a link to yours which i think is amazing right because that can root you. You're not rooted in whiteness. You're rooted in another, in a culture. Right. The problem with whiteness is that it is um, dehumanizing to white people too, in that it it has major ancestor and major ancestors give up their culture. It made them say, "I am white and only white. I'm not French. I'm not Irish. I'm not Dutch. I'm not German. I am only white." That's what the melting pot is about. It's not about like, oh, let's all like be each other, like be ourselves. And no, it's about melting into one thing. The melting pot is not a good thing, y'all. Mm. Despite what you were ever taught. They want, it, it's a like, let's melt into this one cannibalistic homogenous creature. And anything outside of that norm is othered and marginalized, even within the white community. So learning about your ancestral culture Go and take that DNA test or talk to some um, elders in your family and ask, like, where are we from if you don't know? And and start to study those cultures. What are some of the foods you can make? Like, introduce those things to your children. And that way you can be rooted in that culture and not in the culture of whiteness, which, again, dehumanizes you because it makes you give up parts of yourself. Definitely, definitely. And I'm and I'm thinking when I'm listening to you also in the, the culture is the language. Mm -hmm. I talk to so many families who are saddened because their elders did not teach them their language of origin. Right. They said, oh, no, 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 we, we need to only speak English. And and it's and it's just, you know, so sad because language is just so beautiful and there's so many of them. Wow. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that. And it's just, it is the awareness. And, and I love that you say, you know, seek out other experiences. And I will just say one thing that has helped me, and, and this is a guest that I had interviewed a while back and, and really talked about diversifying your social media feeds. Yes. That's Follow people that make you think differently that make you see, you know, just, you know, just following you. I've learned a lot. Like I've, I follow all, all sorts of people, even people who are uncomfortable or who I might not agree with, but I think it's important to educate ourselves as to what is out there. What are people 
thinking of saying and all this. You know, sometimes I will say for my mental health, I need to turn it off because it gets to be a bit much. <laughs> so we we do have to protect ourselves. But I think it is it is our responsibility to educate ourselves for sure. I I, I totally agree. A lot of us live our lives online now because we, again, we're in these silos called the nuclear family and we're shut off from community. So we are finding community online, right? And so you got to also audit that. Who am I following? What are they saying? What are the language that they're using? Um, look up what dog whistles mean and you can start to spot them easier and look at if what, if what you're being, we got to look at everything that we are consuming is a form of socialization or indoctrination, everything. And so what are we consuming? What's going into my mind? Um, did I have the same thought about this group of people or culture or whatever last year, 10 years, five years ago? Did it change? If it shifted, did it shift in a good or a bad way? And why? You know, it's like auditing, like this is intentional work and this is it's ongoing work. And I just want to say, you don't have to be doing it all the time. Like seriously, take a break. <laughs> it's tiring. I even have to just sit down and just be like, girl, you need to go sit down somewhere and just watch some like mindless TV just so you can get, you can get offline, like you said, and just get my mind off of some of these discussions. Yeah. Go walk in nature. Like that's, that's my, that's where I, you know, resource myself. It's just like, oh my God. Like that's where touch grass came from. Touch some grass. Exactly. <laughs> Go walk barefoot in the grass yeah. for sure. Wow, for seriously. sure. Yeah. I, I don't have the best coping skills. Like I do dissociate way too much when it comes to, because I'm on, I'm, my job is on social media a lot and I see, and I, I'm reading things. I'm just like, wow, we are, it makes me sad a lot. Um, and so I, so yes, like you said, I, I will get up and drive to the duck pond and just watch the ducks. And um, I'm trying to get more active because again, these are things that will help my mindset. So out of all these, all of all that, what we're talking about, what, what we're really discussing is how to shift your mind and mindfulness is part of that. Um, you can't be intentional without some sort of mindfulness practice. It doesn't have to like, don't put too many rules on it, but you got to be doing something that that helps your mind rest, but also challenges your mind to to think and feel and understand that we are very complex people, full of nuance. Nothing is ever really black or white, and I and I really encourage anyone listening to really start to embrace like non dualistic thinking um, as much as you can. I know every time I say that, I, the autistic community reminds me like that's hard for them, so I understand. But as much as you can, try to find nuance in things. Things are rarely ever just like either or. That is actually a um, white supremacy culture trait. Um, there's 15 of them. That's one of them is, is binary either or thinking because it traps you um, on either side when really we need to be trying to figure out how can we, in this middle part, there's an answer. It's never on the extreme ends. In the middle, there's always an answer. Right. And and I like that the fact that it's it's being aware, you know, using mindfulness to be aware of the the subtleties on 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 all sorts of levels. Um, thank you for that. And and so you were we were talking a little bit offline of how you know you were saying that it was important to you that we parent in community. So so how can can we do that? Because I know for me, I have found, and you know, and that's 
why I got into the work that I'm doing is just we have we're parenting in in total isolation. Like we 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 don't have our elders around to help us anymore. We don't have that that you know village that is that there's you know we can let the children run around and and we know that there will always be somebody watching our children like we're 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 completely isolated and and I remember like actually moving here and I was kind of shocked I I moved here when my daughter was 2 and we moved to this other house and there were children across the street that were her age and I just I was just so happy like you know let's invite them over and the parents were extremely reticent they let them come for five minutes. And I was like, what, you know, what, what is the problem here? And so, 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 you know, it's like, we're, we're afraid to go out. So how do we build community? And I know there's a lot of online communities, but I want like physical, (laughs) physical community. And I, and I think especially after, you know, two years of being forced to isolate, um, it's important to to get in community. So how how do you go about doing that for yourself? Yeah. So first, we are just like steeped in a culture of fear. Fear is just like it really just is underlying everyone's decision. You look at the new like everything is about fear, and we we have to learn discernment. Um, of course, be careful. But children are safer now than they ever were, y'all. The this all these. The, the human trafficking is kidnapping and it was a much higher rates in the eighties and nineties, much higher rates. Kids are safer than they've ever been partly because of technology. They have phones and a lot of parents use those little trackers, you know, to, um, to track their kids. Um, so that's the first thing I want to say is I need for, for us to start touching grass and getting off the internet because it's, and, and turning our computers, um, our TVs off of the news because it's really creating this culture of fear where we fear each other um, or we are in competition with each other. And that is inhibiting our ability to form community. And even if you don't live in an intergenerational household, your neighbors can be your community or your or your larger community, right? So what I mean by that is if you guys start talking to your neighbors and everyone can start to figure out how they can help one another. This is this isolative. Uh, I don't even know if that's a word, but this way that we're parenting <laughs> is not normal and it's it not is harmful. And we are harming our children because they are also more lonely than ever before. Um, there's more laws that restrict their movement as well, and the way ways they can play, where they can play, all these things. So we have to. S- take some of the dependence off of these systems and start to depend on each other. So how do we do that? One of the things that I suggest doing is if you're in like a, a community and you have like a lot of communities now have like a, an online, like uh, like group, why not get in that group and be like, okay, let's figure out how to help each other out and decrease dependency on some of these food systems and what, and whatnot. And so I know that I love to cook and I cook like, I am in a house full of 15 boys, okay? I cook way too much food. So I'm going to have all this food left over. If I cook, maybe you can, and if you know how to sew, and if you know how to like preserve food and you know how to grow food, then we can all help each other out. And then somebody can watch the kids while we're doing all of this, you know? Like it doesn't have to be just our family. Our communities can help each other by figuring out what skills each other has and then skill share, barter, trade, give, um, and work together 
So then you have people who are depending on their neighbor versus depending on a, a system like a grocery store or a or a broken food. Like people are like talking about eggs right now. If I had chickens, I'd just be giving eggs out because these are people who are, are hungry and they need eggs. So how can you, if you have a skill, what is your skill? Do you sew? Do you bake? Do you, you know, what do you do? Are you great with kids? How can you use your skill to help your neighbor out and vice versa? If your neighbor has a um, a bunch of clothes that they're giving away, get together and like, let's do a clothing swap. You know, adults too, because I know I hate to um, go out and buy clothes these days. So let's let's all get together and do a, cl- a clothing swap. So we're not going out and spending more money. Um, we're able to save more money and we're working together and we're together. We are together um, laughing and finding joy amongst one another. Joy is what's missing in the world. Joy, love, and patience with one another. And it's being overshadowed by fear. And so if you're too scared to knock on a neighbor's door, I get that because folks be out here, you know, a little bit off sometimes. I understand. Use technology to your advantage and just be like, you know what? I have an idea. I want to have a, you know, um, a community like yard sale or rummage sale or something to raise funds for this thing. Or I want to get together and have a sewing circle. What can you do to get people into your community together? Somebody has to make the first step. Right. No. And I, and I love, love, love all of these ideas. And then there is in my head, the little devil's advocate who's going, but people just don't have time anymore. Like they're, they're so, there's such a rat race of, of survival that it's like. But we're surviving, we're surviving because we're trying to, we have to depend on systems. Right. Because we're, we're, we're doing it alone. We're not, uh, we're not asking for help. Exactly. We're not asking for help. So now we're, now our childcare has to be outsourced. Everything is being outsourced and we're spending more money. We're spending less time and more money. And so if you, you're going to have to make the time, y'all, you're going to have to figure out how to make the time to talk to your neighbors when, and, and then you will find that you do have more time because then it's not always on you. You know what I'm saying? You'll be able to get a day night because you have a, a trusted neighbor now where you can get, they can, you can watch their kids sometimes and, and, and vice versa. Like y'all can help each other out. You don't have to cook every meal because a neighbor is cooking it on Tuesdays. You know, on Tuesdays, it's, I'm going to the Johnson's house. And on Wednesdays, they're coming to your house. Like you're not cooking as much anymore. It frees up time. Y'all can have community cleaning. <laughs> you know, let's get together and like, let's clean someone's house together. We have to reduce the shame that we feel for asking for help. That's part of it. That's a big, big one. Yes. Because we need help. Yeah. And we feel like I can afford to do this I can, or, or I can't afford it. So I should just do it. Or we've just been indoctrinated into be doing everything alone. It is harming us because if you, if you worked with your community, you would have more time to enjoy life to read a freaking book, to crochet, to do some hobbies. Everything cannot be about making money. But right now it is because you're doing it alone. Right. So I want you to just think about what can I get with my neighbors? What skills do I have? And how can I speak with my neighbors and let them know, like, we need to be doing this together. Let's help each other out so we can have more time to actually be intentional parents. I love that. And it makes me want to be a neighbor of yours for sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually starting an intentional community with six other black moms. That's wonderful. Yeah. We want to raise our kids together and we're going to buy some land out in Georgia and raise our kids together and um, be each other's village. 
Oh, I love that. Oh, that's wonderful. This is this is happening soon. This is a- this year. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I'm moving in June. Oh, wow. We don't have land yet, but still, that's not the point. I'm moving in June, y'all. Right. We're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna follow you and make sure that that's oh that's beautiful. Yeah. And and it's true. I mean, to me, that's just, you know, going back to to our roots. Like we've been so disconnected and and you know, like this whole internet, we're supposedly more connected than we've ever been, but then there's, you know, more anxiety, more fear, more loneliness than there's ever been. So miscommunication, more disconnection. Yeah. And that to me is a very very important aspect of parenting that we need to be careful of because I realize like I'm a generation where I, you know, I got a smartphone when my daughter got hers as a teenager, right? I never had a phone before. It didn't, it didn't exist. I didn't need it, whatever. But your generation and the generation after you, they've been raised with phones in their hands from, you know, infancy almost. And so it's a whole different mindset. And and to me, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm fearful of what that's, what's that doing to, to our communities, like you were saying. You know, I think um, I always, when it comes to technology and especially like Gen Z, Gen Alpha, I want to think about the fact that, like you said, they've been born with technology at hand. Um, and so how do we evolve our thinking in order to make sure that we we evolve with them, right? Because they, my daughter who is five can work my phone. I never taught her how. Right. She just took my phone one day and just knew how to use it. So like, I want to make sure that the shifts that we make when it comes to this work, um, how can we include technology, but also make sure that it's not disconnecting us? Um, how do we use technology to become more connected? Because we're not connected. We can connect with everyone around the world. That doesn't mean that we are actually connected to them and we're not we're disconnected from them. And and this is probably a whole other episode, but I would have to ask, like, do we really have to use technology? Like, like is that something that is being imposed on us through, you know, consu- consumerism and all this? Like, for me, for me, as as you know, I, I have two children, so they're they're young adults now. But when my son was was growing up, I I intentionally refused to put a penny into any. Um, video game or we or the latest greatest technology that you just had to have because I just didn't feel like that was part of my values that I would rather spend my my income on traveling on exploring on you know and and I took them traveling a lot as opposed to you know putting them in front of a video game and so that was that was me deciding that yeah, it's great technology, but I don't want it in my life. And I think that I just want to like empower parents to make that decision for themselves. Like don't feel pressured (laughs) to, you know, get technology for your children is what I'm trying to say, I guess. But it's like I say, it's a whole other. (laughs) I think we use it as a tool. Yes. And right now it's a social status for a lot of people. And that's the problem. Like, let me get the latest iPhone. Let me get, let me get the latest video game. Let me, you know, and it's like a social status. It's another form of separation. Like, as if you don't have this, then you are nothing, you know? Um, and so I think using it as a tool is different than using it as a social status. I think about my daughter who is autistic and um, a Gestalt language processor. That's how she's learning how to speak is electronic. 
And so I think it just really depends on the family. And we use it as a tool, right? Um, we're using it as a tool to help her um, expand her language. Um, I'm not even going to lie. As a single parent, I use it as a tool to get a damn break sometimes because I need it. <laughs> it's a tool. And it's and when we move onto this this land, I won't need that break like that, right? Because she'll be out in nature. She'll have people, more people around to watch her. It won't just be on me. And that's what community does. It it um, it helps us. So if we are if we are overwhelmed and we are like, okay, fine, here's the video game. Community will help us not be so overwhelmed, so our kids can find other interests other than the video game. We we can help them learn about things that are outside of the digital world. That said, these kids are immersed, so I think it's just really up to each parent um, about how they want to utilize technology. But I do I do understand what you're saying. I think there's a lot to be said for getting back to simpler things sometimes, and the more we simplify our lives, the more we declutter and the more that we take on a more like minimalist and not in the way that's just like, you know, my decoration is not minimalist, but I want to live a more minimalist life because I don't want to be a, a slave to consumerism anymore. I don't want to just have things. I want to have, I want to have like quality things, a little bit of those things. And then I want to spend the rest of my money on experiences like you or on making sure our home you know what I'm saying is is a is a comfortable, nice place to live, and again, I don't have to buy things to do that. Um, and so, I want to simplify. I want to learn how to bake my own bread. I want to learn how to make my own seasonings. Like that sounds weird to a lot of people, but I think where we're, we're what we're seeing right now is a push for us to figure out how do I empower myself with with tools and with knowledge that will again help me spend less money and decrease my um, dependence on these systems that are really harmful. The food systems, all those things, all this stuff we're eating, all of it is harmful. So how can I do that? It's by simplifying. Exactly. Beautiful. Oh my goodness. I could go, go on forever. This, this has been, this has been a wonderful conversation, Yolanda. And just as we wrap up, I like to ask a more personal question, if I may. Yeah. So you said you're you're a single mom of a toddler. How, how old is your daughter? Uh, Gia is five. Five. Um, so if you were to go back to maybe six years ago when you were expecting her, what wise words would you tell yourself knowing all that you know today? Um, honestly, and it's going to sound real simple, but sleep when the baby sleeps. <laughs> I did not listen. I, I have not slept well in five years. Oh, sweetie. Yeah, it's been terrible. So like, I'm exhausted. I was asleep right before we got on this um, because I needed to take a nap. Um, I To really value your rest and to sleep whenever you can, because the, the lack of sleep impacts how I parent. Definitely, definitely. And thank you for that. Because, you know, they people always kind of poo poo that but I think it's so, so, so important. It's like, that is the only way you're going to recuperate is how it? like if you're not sleeping, and exactly. so you'd be a very good intentional parent if your mind is, is foggy, and you're annoyed, you know, but it's not too late to take this advice, right? You can still nap when she naps or, you know. When the kids go down for a nap, I need for y'all to take a nap too. And it's always like, there's, there's always going to be something to do. So they're always <laughs> the dishes can wait. sleep is your priority. Take it out. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you, Yolanda. Any, any uh, parting words that you would like to leave our listeners with today? 
Well, I just want to say anybody who is embarking on this this journey to being a more conscious, intentional parent, um, especially if you're including an anti-racist parent in there, I'm just super proud of you for doing this work. It is not easy work to be, you know, um, the person in your family who decides, I don't want to do this anymore. A lot of people are learning that they are by themselves in this journey because their families don't understand. And um, continue to seek out knowledge from people who look different than you. Continue to um, rest and to honor yourself and your own like your own personhood. And also just always remember that you are becoming someone you've never been before. So just to have some grace and patience for yourself along this journey, you will make mistakes. You will say something offensive. You will say something harmful and life will still go on. It's not the end of the world. We have to, we have to get rid of this fear of making a mistake and show our children that it's not about perfection. It's just, it's about progress. Beautiful. Thank you so much for those words. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Have you been searching for the owner's manual to your child or did you just misplace it? Are you tired of trying to figure out this whole parenting puzzle, not knowing what to do when it comes to tantrums, hitting or biting, sibling rivalry, potty training, proper sleep habits, or just plain wanting a better relationship with your child? You know, I've been at this for a while now and wanted to share my own parenting manual. It's called The Parenting School, and I've created it with you in mind. Give your child and yourself the gift of mindful parenting in just a few short weeks and discover all the tools you'll ever need to parent without losing your patience, giving in, or worrying that you're messing up. If you're yearning to be more patient and present with your child while finding balance in your own life, then you already know that you need effective parenting tools and ongoing support. You know you weren't meant to be raising children alone, and you probably already know that having the right parenting tools during moments of conflict is the key to staying grounded, responding with empathy, and strengthening your parent-child relationship. You've probably sensed that you'd be a more confident parent if you had a like-minded community supporting and encouraging you. Your skills have gotten you this far, but most days you still feel like you're making it up as you go. So here's what I've got for you. Reliable parenting principles that will allow you to finally set boundaries you can confidently uphold, communicate effectively with your child, declutter your home to enhance your child's independence, learning, and family harmony, and find more time to do the things you love. This is what the parenting school is all about. During this digital parenting course, you'll get weekly modules with lessons focused on key areas to get you where you want to be. These modules come packed full of video tutorials, journal prompts, actionable activities, expert interviews, and more, as well as weekly Lifeline group mentoring calls where I answer your questions personally, plus a virtual village with like-minded parents supporting each other during this deep dive parenting intensive. I'll also include some extra special bonuses to keep you inspired and motivated along the way. 
So if this sounds too good to be true and you're ready to up-level your parenting skills as well as your family's well-being, head on over to The Parenting School at voilamontessori.com slash TPS dash enroll. That's TPS for The Parenting School dash enroll. To learn more about the, all the benefits of this fabulous interactive digital course I've created just for you. And by the way, I've also added the link in the show notes for you. Looking forward to supporting you and your family. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Art of Parenting podcast. And if you did, please share it with your loved ones and make sure to leave a review so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.